Here we are back on uh, Dr. Zero Trust show thing. It's uh, 1 o'clock, 1300 for you military types, August 10th, 2022, uh, when a lot of folks, I think, are at Black Hat right now, um, you know, doing all the fun things that folks do at Black Hat and uh, probably having a better time than I am um, as it stands today. But uh, I took, you know, the, there's so many things I've seen recently about people posting as far as, um, you know, uh, things not to do or uh, burnout, whatever else. I even posted something about burnout and that type of thing. It's um, it's a real deal. And uh, my, I guess, humble advice would be for folks is if you're if you're feeling burnout, um, take the time and chill out because your company, uh, if you died, would post your job opening before your obituary was published. I mean, I think The Rock said that or somebody else said that, but like, know that that's a real thing. So if you're feeling nuked, if you've had enough, which this summer for me has been personally insane between a whole lot of personal stuff, uh, parents' house burning down, all kinds of other crap, like whatever it is, take some time. You don't have to go to events all the time. Um, so if you're out there, have fun, be safe. If you're not out there, it's okay. Take your time. Do whatever you need to do. Those I, I have a once a year Vegas rule, so uh, I don't want to go to Vegas more than once a year. Anyway, um, going forward, I'm not going to jump in and do the typical thing that I've been doing recently on um, uh, Shodan because honestly, it's just too easy. So I'm going to do a little bit different, and I've been doing this this morning. Um, I've been doing some crafted query response things using uh, using internet. Um, and getting some interesting results back. Now, again, because I don't want to get anybody else in trouble, I'm not going to get myself in trouble. Uh, I can't show this stuff, but I will read through some of it. And of course, like I always do, I'll notify these organizations. So one of the first things that I did was to go off and look for um, things that had administrative rights and had a SQL configuration behind it uh, that were misconfigured. Um, so basically you can imagine somebody doing something, building a SQL database and then misconfiguring the way that it talks to the internet somehow, some way, or, uh, lacking a particular control. And then it's out there. One of the first ones that I found, uh, was a biometric system. And this biometric system has got the full index of stuff, uh, within that SQL database exposed to the internet right now. Uh, can you... Think about what is there in that biometric system that's available right this second. And interestingly enough, when you look a little bit this poke around into it, uh, which I'm not breaking any laws because I'm, I'm abiding by all the rules. You know, the last time this thing was updated or touched was 2018. Now, the problem is biometrics don't change over the course of a few years. My face the stuff that's measured on my face is still the stuff that's measured on my face. My fingerprints are still pretty much the same. You might have some scarring or whatever else, but those biometrics are there. And this, I think this is an important point to talk about for the folks like myself that are not fans of the password is that if you're, whoops, if you are uh, doing biometrics and you expose this type of stuff, Someone could get access to things that they'll have access to for potentially the lifetime of the user. So if this is your face, if this is your uh, 
whatever they're measuring, uh, biometrics, that type of stuff, it's there until you are no longer here. So this is a huge problem. And it's a pretty large um, SQL directory. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but it's, it's sizable. So it probably has some pretty high definition images. It probably has some pretty valuable information that I would not want exposed. So that's one um, within that particular query. So another, again, using crafted stuff and asking the right questions. And, you know, I like to say tickling the internet the way that you want to. The question was, can I find documents that are publicly exposed on the internet that are either .doc, .pdf, .xls, or .xlsx spreadsheets that have the tag in it, internal use only. So stuff that you wouldn't want to be shared externally and literally is tagged internal use only. I was able to find 523,000 results in about half a second. Um, do, are all those valid, super important things? Probably not. Are some of those, let's call it, I don't know, 3%, something that could be valuable? I would say so. Now, if you go through that and you look, um, I can see here stuff from Verizon's business unit. And again, I will let these people know about this. Um, I can see stuff from the IRS, irs.gov, internal use only. And this has been exposed since 2013, Department of the Treasury. Uh, there's a couple of them here that are actually pretty comical because they say that these are internal use only documents to tell people how to share and distribute proprietary information, but they shared and distributed information incorrectly. Yeah. Um, JSTOR, if you're familiar with JSTOR.org, they've got some stuff out there. Um, there's a particular organization that has misconfigured and set some proprietary information out there that actually has to do with people's pensions. Um, and it's tagged confidential, classified, internal use only. Uh, and it has people's pension information. It's a PDF. Probably a bad thing. Uh, Delaware.gov has got issues here as well. NASA, which seems to show up pretty often. Department of Education. Um, I did change this query a bit and sort of said, can I look for things that are .gov and .mil related? And there's plenty of them there. Um, Blue Cross for a state has got information that's there and it has to do with their um, costing system, costing, pricing, whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, Missouri, a particular city in Missouri has got some shared information that they wouldn't want out there. Uh, a college in, uh, I believe, Washington State is there as well. Right. So there they are. Um, organizations in Brazil, again, and this one particular thing that's shared from an organization in Brazil actually has system configurations that have internal use only things tagged all over it in a PDF. So it is the configuration of their digital architecture that's shared. If you look for the right thing that says that this is how they're internally configured. Now, who would ever want to use that type of stuff? Problem. A couple of more just because I'm trying like hell to get the point across to people that this is super important and that there is a real threat and issue here. So I think it's valuable to make this type of uh, point. Um, if you look for shell.php, so where you're able to do shelly type things and there's PHP servers and that type of stuff. Um, and you can go look up the specifics on this sort of that avenue of exploitation. Um, Johns Hopkins. Now Johns Hopkins has got information out there that responds to this. Um, which is 
able to kick back shell um, if you do a couple of other pieces of this exploit cycle, which I'm not going to do because that would get me in deep doo-doo because then you're actually doing exploitation. But the fact that I can see this and it responds the way that it responds with the information it gave me is indicative of a pretty significant problem. Um, University of California, SoCal. See your stuff there as well. Um, so that would be something. And then finally, on this particular one, uh, there is a bank in North Carolina that has stuff misconfigured that is, is sitting in this uh, form of um, response. Well, actually, not finally. The last one, and I got to notify these folks really quickly. If you if you remember about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, there was a, a publication that said that justice system um, infrastructure had been compromised, like your, your court system. Here is justice.pr.gov, which is Puerto Rico, the index responding for the justice system there. Now, again, is all of that information super valuable to me? Probably not. Is there something in there that would be potentially valuable? Probably so. Um, and the fact that this is usually when you're looking for these types of things, the fewer results you get, the more valuable that information is. So if you do one of these looks and you get 6 million results, it's probably 6 million things of BS. I'm looking at about 600 results for this particular query across the entire internet. So probably pretty valuable. And just a couple more because it's 2022, shouldn't be able to find this stuff, but they're there. Um, I'm not going to go into some of the stuff in Australia that's going to have to get looked at. But if you go and you run a query and you look for, please log in with a particular known, very public administrative password and tag it with a, uh, a delimiter that is leak related, you'll find about 20,000 results. Within those 20,000 results, the great thing it gives you back, all these organizations that have configurations that are out there that are misconfigured that basically give you access to back-end systems. Um, if you've ever been to CVS to get your medical stuff, I see CVS here. Um, and it basically says, and I won't say the IP address or whatever else, but it's SSH on a server for CVS. So probably not cool. And again, like the, the, the smaller results you have, the more valuable the information probably is. And this is pretty small. Um, going through that and it's 2022 like this is a relatively simple thing to fix this is you should be running checks and uh queries and then fixing these holes last one um root if you're familiar with root root is something you're always trying to get to root is kind of if you go back to the i guess you call it the hacker movies or whatever when they get root like that's game over um doing a particular query here uh, on web servers and things like that, where you're able to get to that sort of root directory. Um, CERN, C-E-R-N, has a misconfiguration that's available out there. And this is, I know, really interesting stuff because there's only 51 results. So there's that one. Uh, there's an insurance company who, interestingly enough, actually sells cybersecurity insurance. I won't put their name in here. That has a root exposed configuration that was last updated in 2018 uh april 27th at 11:01 a.m 
that is sitting out there talking to the internet. So probably not good either. Uh, but it's 2022. Um, people are at Black Hat. We're all talking about cybersecurity stuff and doing cybersecurity things. And I guarantee you're running into tons and tons of organizations offering zero trust solutions and those types of things. But here are a bunch of very simple, very easy to fix problems that are available. And I mean, like I said, 2018, 2017, 2013, in some instances, um, still exposed, still misconfigured, still available, but we're spending billions of dollars to fix this problem. Okay. Uh, let's get the elephant out of the room and talk about the Twilio breach. Cause I think that that's been the, the common point of conversation for most people, uh, over the course of the last week or so. Hackers behind Twilio Breach also targeted Cloudflare employees. Web infrastructure company Cloudflare on Tuesday uh, disclosed at least 76 employees and their family members received text messages on their personal work phones bearing similar characteristics as those of the sophisticated phishing attack against Twilio. The question that I got from somebody when they notified that, uh, when they looked at that, was, well, why would they target their families? Why would you target your family? Because... These organizations now, when we're in this remote world, my network at home is part of my company network. Because if they can't get to me, they can get to my kids or my wife or my whatever, and they could use that access to get into a system. They could also ransom those individuals. And when your kids or your spouse or whoever is being ransomed, you'll do what you can to try and get them back up, which might include offering some bad guy access to a system further into the network. Now, the other thing is how educated and practical are the individuals within your home at being secure? I know in my home, we're not the best. We do as good as we can. I kind of sit here as like system administrator and do IT security all day because the kids are always trying to do whatever the kids are going to do. But we've at least had conversations about this and they've been relatively okay at uh, not clicking things. But on the average American, on the average owner, how well organized are their kids or their family members at this? The attack, which transpired around the same time Twilio was targeted, so this is a campaign, came from four numbers associated with the T-Mobile issued SIM cards and was ultimately unsuccessful as it stands right now today. Now, this is as of the 10th. So uh, the text message pointed to a seemingly legitimate domain containing the keywords Cloudflare and Okta. Um, hundred million submission uh, messages commenced less than 40 minutes after the rogue domain was registered via pork bun. The company noted adding the phishing page was designed to relay the credentials entered by unsuspecting users to the attacker via telegram. Now, where is telegram used all the time? Russia. So probably there. Uh, interesting point of note here. I actually got a phishing uh, email this week and it was really good. It was better than the, the Cloudflare thing. It was a Microsoft password reset. It just happened to coincide with I needed to update my Microsoft uh, O365 stuff. And I'll admit this, like I clicked on the link. However, because I run browser isolation and because of the way that I've set up my systems, nothing happened. I was notified that I clicked the link, get slapped on the wrist and go back about my day. But I wasn't able to interact with the malicious content. So even those of us that are tinfoil hat people like myself get fished. It happens. Nobody's perfect. 
if you've got the controls in place that actually mitigate that risk and that threat, it doesn't matter. And it was, like I said, it was really good. I even tried to look at headers. It was, it was well-crafted. Honestly, if I could find whoever sent it to me, I would first shake their hand for a well-crafted fish and then second kick the shit out of them because they fished me. Now, just a couple of more pieces on the Twilio thing, because this is a learning for us. Twilio suffers data breach after employees fall victim to SMS phishing attack. Most people don't think about your phone as a computer. If you ask them, they don't think about your phone as a computer. They don't think about an operating system on a phone. Your phone is just a thing that you use to do phony phone type things. Um, you know, and, and that could be a problem, but it, it's it's your... It, it is a, uh, there's more power. What's the, the thing that people say? There's more power in a, a modern cell phone than there was to land the rocket on the moon, which is honestly very true. So people don't think about their phones as these types of avenues of compromise. Nobody that I've talked to that's not in the security space even thinks about getting a fish on a SMS. So this is going to be a very, very likely avenue of compromise for a long time. If you look at Twilio, right, this is what happens. So social engineering tech was bent on stealing the credentials. The company said calling the ads unidentified users well-organized and methodical in their actions. Came out on August 4th. Broad-based attack against our employee base succeeded in fooling some employees and providing their credentials. Attackers then noted stolen credentials to gain access to some of their internal systems. Were able to gain access to certain customer data. Uh, Twilio has got 268,000 active customer accounts and has got lots of different, uh, and then also it owns a popular two-factor authentication service, Authy. Now, immediately when this happened, people were piling on them and talking about, oh, they own 2FA, 2FA doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't think that that's entirely fair. This is, uh, if you look at what went on with the attack, it was pretty well-crafted, pretty targeted, um, and they were able to circumvent a lot of the controls there. And the fact that the URLs had uh, tags in it, like Twilio and OctSSO, basically increased it where people that aren't in security were going to be like, oh, this has got to be real, literally because of the fact it says Okta or SSO or whatever else. And then they click and life goes on from there. Um, now, the other side of this is additionally, and this is in the article itself on Hacker News, Additionally, the threat actors seem to have sophisticated abilities to match employee names from sources with their phone numbers, and they targeted their family. So what does that mean? That means that somebody took the time to put the research in to find out not only who the organization was, but the employees are, where they sit in the organization, and to do some recon and figure out who their family members are and then target them. So this is a step up and escalation in these types of attacks. This is not necessarily the same lazy thing that happens all the time. And the issue that we face, and this is, again, I know I'm beating a dead horse. The issue that we face is I can train you. I can enforce controls uh, on you. And I can do those things because you're my employee. What do I do for your family? And what do I do for your home network that is now part of my IT infrastructure? If you don't have things in place that will minimize that risk, that risk becomes exponentially larger with every person, every device, everyone in that network. So this is a problem. If they're willing to put this much effort in, they're going to find some way to get past it. So note that, and it flat out says in the response here, 
Um, it's not clear if the breached accounts were secured with 2FA protections. Guaranteed Twilio employees have been through phishing training. Like I said earlier, I've been fished. I've been fished more than once. I'm sure there's plenty of people on this thing that have been fished. Me, I don't worry about it because I got other things in place. However, these people were trained, I guarantee it, and likely I would say they did not have 2FA in place. But my guess would be that this was optional for their organization. Hopefully now the leadership sees that this is no longer optional and they will enforce 2FA protections because this could have eliminated or exponentially minimized that particular risk. That one out of bound thing, out of band thing, excuse me, can reduce risk. There was a study and I have to find it that was published by uh, the uh, organizations that manage uh, um, credit card systems for gas pumps. And if you remember a few years ago, you used to go to the gas pump and you just zipped your card. Then they put in the thing where you either had to do a debit card and put your four digit pin or you had to put in your zip code where you live so that it would sync up on the far end. They saw a, like 90 something percent reduction in fraud in 30 days. So the question about whether or not that's valuable, it's, it's valuable. That's all there is to it. So let's not all beat up on Twilio too much because everybody can get fished. It just is what it is. Now, exceptionally concerning, emergency alert system flaws could let attackers transmit fake messages, which I would say will let attackers transmit fake messages. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, has warned of critical security vulnerabilities in the EAS, the emergency alert system, encoder, decoder devices. If left unpatched, which they are, the issues could allow an adversary to issue fraudulent emergency alerts over TV, radio, and cable networks. The August 1 advisory comes courtesy of DHS's FEMA cyber, C-Y-B-I-I-R, security researcher Ken Pyle, who discovered this thing. This is the National Public Warning System, right? The details of the flaw have been kept under wraps because this is pretty interesting. However, if you're going to be at DEF CON, they're going to talk about this and let it out at DEF CON. So if you want to go see something super cool, go to DEF CON and go check out this particular point of the conversation. Um, in short, the vulnerability is public knowledge and will be demonstrated to a large audience in the coming weeks, the agency said. To mitigate the vulnerability, relevant participants are recommended to update EAS devices to the latest software version, secure them with a firewall, and monitor and audit review logs for signs of unauthorized access. Now, here's part of the question that I have with this is the DHS has had a mandate for cyber for quite a while. There's been big dollars that have been spent in cyber. Who didn't think that the emergency alert system was fucking important and didn't bother to put a firewall in front of these things? Why are we not managing the vulnerabilities of the emergency alert system? What if you take over an emergency alert notification device and you publish something in a locale and say something horrible and cause a response and physically people start getting killed or people freak out? If you said there was an instance a few years ago where uh, emergency alert system was screwed up and it said that the ICBM was launched from North Korea and was coming to Hawaii. People were putting their kids in sewers because they thought a nuke was inbound. How many people can get hurt if these things are misconfigured? Like we're worried about critical infrastructure and those types of things. Are we not worried about them modifying the system we're used for emergency alert systems? And this, in my opinion, should be a glaring omission in the fact that these organizations haven't planned or uh, admission, sorry, haven't planned to really deal with the reality of this stuff. We've got billions of dollars. The DOD budget for cyber was 10 something billion dollars. 
we still haven't made firewalls mandatory on emergency alert systems. That doesn't require a whole lot of money. Matter of fact, I'll put this out there right now on the call. Anyone running an emergency alert device system, whatever, if you need a firewall to put in front of it, contact me and I will get you in touch with someone that can get you a goddamn firewall. This is not, this is not okay. Now, last point I wanted to make here was that the uh, published allied market research, um, zero trust security market hit 126.02 billion by 2031. <clears throat> Everybody does their own research here, but you can really kind of crawl through this and make your own assertions and think about what's going on. But this is the forecast period from 2022 to 2031. Um, if you look at this, the market size in 2021 is 23 billion. 2031 is 126 billion with a CAGR, a growth rate of 19%. Uh, this is super interesting. So if you look at the growth of the regular, I guess you could call it security specific market, it's at about a 14 to 15%. Sometimes you'll see as high as a 17% CAGR. And it's not as high as this is going as far as growth goes in that amount of time. This means that zero trust as a global security strategy and adopted uh, market driver is a very, very real thing. This means that there has been a market formalized, created, uh, and uh, basically validated across the globe that this thing is gonna grow at nearly 20% over the course of the next decade, nine years, maybe a little bit less than that. That's staggering. Now, the reason why that's happened is because there's been a remove to remote work. We have new people coming in, BYOD, all these things that require us to eliminate trust to be in a better place. And we have proven failures across a variety of instances uh, and strategies that we just can't do the same thing and expect a different outcome. You're at Black Hat, you're at DEF CON, you were at RSA this year. Guarantee you're seeing a lot of zero trust stuff. Guarantee you're seeing a lot of zero trust marketing. The market is there. The dollars and cents are there. The federal government is doing this work. The government in Australia is doing this work. The EU is doing this work. The UK is doing this work. In Africa, they're talking about zero trust. This is going to be a global market driver and a global dynamic that will either uh, lift all, a rising tide will lift ships that subscribe to the model that makes the most sense, or there will be those that are left in a lurch because they ignored the train when it came by. There's an opportunity right now to do this better. There's an opportunity and the technology exists to do this better. If your organization is continuing to doubt the realities of what this approach means, you're missing the value proposition of zero trust. And if you're a vendor or you're someone creating technology and you believe and you wanna help people with security like I do, this is the market that you wanna be in because there is the greatest growth in the shortest amount of time. So the next time you're putting your pitch together for some VC with dudes in Patagonia Vest in Silicon Valley, say you're selling into the zero trust market. You've got a really good place to be selling. Okie dokie. Um, 27 minutes, moving quickly. I hope everyone is safe. I hope you have a great time at Black Hat or DEF CON. Um, I kind of wish I was there, but honestly, I really don't because it's hot and um, yeah, I can't even play golf. So God bless. Stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. I will see you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from 
the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.